Welcome to Grace. Uh, grab your Bibles with me, if you will, and turn to the book of Proverbs. So if you have uh, your Bibles with you, uh, Proverbs is kind of in the middle of your Bible after the book of Psalms. If you uh, have a pew Bible, uh, turn with me to page 533, and uh, we'll begin in Proverbs chapter 26, and we'll be jumping around as we always do. And uh, we continue in our summer series called Get Smart out of the book of, the book of Proverbs. And we'll be looking at uh, godly and wise living. Uh, that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. And so as you're turning to Proverbs chapter 26, I uh, just want to remind us as to where we've been. We have uh, been studying various topics in the book of Proverbs. We have looked at friendships. We have looked at uh, alcohol. We've looked at family and marriage. Uh, We've looked at the fear of the Lord and all sorts of other things. And this morning, we find ourselves talking about our words or our speech. That is what comes out of our mouth. And um, this was really actually a very tough sermon for me because if you look through and read through the book of Proverbs, you will find out that it has a ton to say about things that come out of our lips. So it was really hard for me to narrow this down to about six or seven Proverbs, but I've tried my best, and so we are going to see um, the power of words in the book of Proverbs. So as you're there, Proverbs uh, chapter 26, um, let's do this. Let's pray, and then we'll jump right in to God's word. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you uh, for these men and women and uh, young people who are here this morning uh, to worship you, uh, to give you praise and glory, to fellowship with the body of Christ, and to hear from your word. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word, that it's holy and inspired, uh, that it's without flaw and completely true, and that we can trust in it and that we can bank our lives on it. And so, Father, I pray as we come to this very, very practical issue of the words that come forth from our lips and what it looks like to have wise words as opposed to foolish words, uh, teach us, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and teach us, uh, reveal to us uh, what is coming forth from our lips, whether it's life or death, whether it's blessings or curses, whether it's honoring to you or not, whether it's wise or foolish. And so help us to evaluate our own hearts and our own words, uh, we pray. And Holy Spirit, help us to be soft towards you and to be willing to change wherever it is that you want to convict us and cause us to change. We're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, whose words our life, whose words are true and completely without error. Jesus, we thank you that you lived a perfect life in this area where we do not. We thank you that you offer us righteousness and right standing with your Father by simply believing in faith that you lived a perfect life and that the fruit of your lips was always good and always tasteful when ours can be bitter um, and evil sometimes. We thank you that you lived for us because we could not live perfectly and we thank you that you died for us because we do not live perfectly and we deserve the wrath of your father and yet you in love sacrificed yourself you bore the wrath of God and you rose from the dead to overcome the power of sin to overcome sin's penalty to overcome sin's power and even the power of sin that comes forth from our lips and we're very grateful that you sent us the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, thank you that you can transform us. Thank you that you can cause our hearts to be born again and renewed and made right so that what comes forth from our lips is from a righteous and pure and born again heart. And so we pray that and we ask it in God's name, in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen, amen. So I want to begin with what will be a very familiar uh, adage, a very familiar phrase, and I'd like for you just to help me uh, complete it for me. Uh, Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never, words can never hurt me. Now, any of you believe that? 
Okay, good. I'm glad you don't, because I don't know about you, but I've been hurt many a times with sticks and stones and all sorts of other ailments to the body, um, as probably you have too. But I think most of us see right through this adage, and what we recognize is that oftentimes the most detrimental, the most hurtful, the most harmful, the most lingering or long-lasting wounds that come to us don't come to us with a broken bone or a bad knee, but they come from the lips of a friend or maybe an enemy, and those oftentimes are the wounds that hurt us the most. And so this old adage of sticks and stones, I don't know who wrote it. I'd like to do some Google searching on it because uh, whoever that man or woman was didn't quite understand the significance and the power of words. Now as we delve into the book of Proverbs, what we're going to find out is that Proverbs teaches us that words are powerful. They have great potential. They have great potential for good, and conversely, they have great potential for harm. And so Proverbs 18.21 says this. You don't have to turn there, but it's, it's kind of the, the, what I would consider the theme verse, kind of the overarching principle that Proverbs gives us as it relates to our words. So let's, let's, let's listen to this together. Proverbs 18.21 says this. Notice, death and life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love its use will eat of its fruit. And those who love its use will eat of its fruit. Which essentially means if you use your tongue a lot, inevitably you will have words that are life or words that are death. And so notice the overarching principle, the, the, the theme that we get from Proverbs is this. Our words matter. They're powerful. They're significant. And they have the power sometimes to bring literal death and to bring literal life. But most often throughout the Proverbs, what we see is that this is speaking metaphorically. That is, our words can bring death-like destruction, death-like pain, death-like ruin to somebody or ourselves. But the, the opposite is true as well, that our words can bring life. They can bring encouragement. They can bring joy. They can bring, bring wisdom. They can bring help. They can bring healing. And so death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so what I want to do this morning is I really have a couple points, a couple categories of Proverbs. Number one, we're going to look at some type of words that Proverbs that I would consider to be words of death. That is, what are the kind of words that can come out of our mouth that would be death, that would have death-like results? We're going to take a look at three categories of Proverbs first. I'll call them words of death. And then secondly, we're going to look at some words of life, a couple categories of Proverbs that the Proverbs say bring life. They bring life to us. And so first of all, uh, jot down these three things. These are three categories from the book of Proverbs that I would consider words of death. There they are. Jot these down. Number one is flattery. Flattery brings death. Number two is gossip. Gossip brings ruin. And then number three, I'll I'll simply call it careless words. That is, words that are not thought through, words that are on the tip of your tongue, words that we just utter without thinking. Careless words. Now, these are three categories. There are a lot more, but let's work our way through these kind of death-like words. These words bring death and destruction. Number one, flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 says this about the results of of flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 says, a lying tongue hates those it hurts. A lying tongue hates those it it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. 
A flattering mouth works ruin. Now see the connection there. We see a connection between lying and between flattery, right? Notice, a, a, a lying tongue, that is when somebody lies, it hates those it hurts. And so when we lie to someone, when we lie about someone, the inevitable, inevitable result is that it brings pain on them and it can bring pain on us. And so a lying tongue hurts, right? And also conversely, similarly, a flattering tongue brings ruin, right? A flattering tongue brings ruin. Now, what is flattery? I, I, I think, I thought I knew what it was, but I looked it up, and flattery is essentially this. Flattery is when we give insincere praise for personal gain. That's what flattery is. It's insincere praise for the sake of personal gain. And so in that sense, it's it's similar to lying. It's another, it's another type of lying, right? Because lying, we all know what a lie is. It's not telling the truth, right? Well, flattery is very much like that, but we're telling lies in an insincere way. We're praising someone. We're, we're kissing up to them, so to speak, because we want something from them. And that's what flattery is, right? And so notice, what is the result of flattery? It says a flattering tongue works ruin. Now, I take that to mean a couple things. It works ruin for us, and it works ruin for them. That is, it ruins us when they find out that we are just flattering them, when when they find out that we're just praising them with empty words, and we don't actually think what we're saying about them is true. We don't think they're as great as we're telling them. We don't like their cooking as much as they, uh, we say we do. We don't respect them as much as we say that we do, and so it ruins us when they find out that we're just lying and that we're full of flattery. It ruins us because of the consequences. And then secondly, it ruins them. It ruins those who we are seeking to flatter because we're not offering anything genuine. We're not offering anything real, no genuine friendship or love. It's simply a farce. And so the first thing we see, the first category, and there are numerous scriptures about flattery, but this this is one, is that a flattering mouth is a word of death. It brings ruin. And so the question that I want to ask myself and ask you is this, who might it be that you are trying to flatter? It's a difficult question because as I begin to to ask myself this in my own life, I said, I'm not trying to flatter anybody. I'm not trying to kiss up to anybody. I don't want, and then I thought about it a little bit more and I thought, well, Maybe there is. Maybe, as we think about it, there might be somebody that we're just not completely honest with. Maybe we are kissing up, so to speak. Maybe it's a person or a group of people that you are outside of their network. You're outside of their friendship group, but you desperately want to be, and so we use flattery. We praise how pretty they look. We praise the car that they drive. We praise the intellect that they use, whatever it might be. But there's a group of friends and we might just be saying things that aren't completely true simply because we want to get in with them and a flattering mouth works ruins. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a boss that, well, you want a promotion, quite frankly. You want him to treat you well. You want him to like you. You want her to respect you and to give you that next opportunity. And so, as your boss, you say things about him or about her in his presence or in the presence of others that, well, you don't exactly mean, and you're using flattery. And Proverbs says that a flattering mouth works ruins. 
Maybe it's an influential person. Maybe it's somebody in the community, like a school board member or maybe an elected official, somebody who you want their ear. You want to influence them to do this or to to do that, to work out that school board uh, meeting the way you want or to work out uh, the community event according to your will, and you're using flattery to influence them so that you can have your paws in whatever it is that they're doing. Um, There are a lot of ways that we can use flattery. And so the first thing that we see, words that are death-like, Proverbs warns that flattery, flattery brings ruin. But not only flattery, the second category, so to speak, that Proverbs warns us about is that of gossip. And we've talked about gossip a little bit, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But if you read through the book of Proverbs, um, one of the most warned about things as it comes to our tongue is gossip. Why do you think that is? I, I really don't know, but my speculation is that we're all prone to it, and we're all prone to listen to it. And it's something that's prevalent, not just apparently in small-town Illinois, but uh, two to 4,000 years ago, even in Hebrew small communities, because uh, the Proverbs warned against the danger of gossip in a community. So turn with me now to Proverbs uh, chapter 26, and look uh, just a little bit uh, before verse 28 to verse 20. Chapter 26, verse 20, says this about gossip. Notice the image. It's a cause and effect relationship. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Do you notice the relationship there? It's a cause and effect relationship. Notice the relationship. Without wood, a fire goes out. Okay, I'm no Boy Scout. In fact, I... To much to my shame, my dad took me to a Boy Scout meeting when I was however old, and I sat through one meeting, and they taught us how to, to make a fire, and I didn't listen, and I said, Dad, I'm not going back. And so I am a, I am a Boy Scout dropout, okay? I'm a flunky. Um, but I do kind of know how to make fires, and I know the simple fact is that if you want a fire to last, what do you need? Wood, right? And maybe a little gasoline, which I like to use. A little lighter fluid doesn't, doesn't hurt, okay? That's what I use. I put the wood there, and I go, right? And I light a match. That's probably not the best way to do it, but it works. But I do know this. If you want a fire to continue out all through the night or continue for a long time, you have to feed it fuel, right? Wood is fuel for the fire, right? Um, Essentially, what the Proverbs is saying is that when, when you lack wood, you lack fire, but in the same way, when you lack gossip, you lack what? Quarrels. You lack fighting. The opposite is true. When you add wood to a fire, it's fuel to the fire, and when you add gossip to a conversation or a relationship, it adds fuel for a fight. You see that? That's essentially what it's saying. Um, it's about the time of year, although it's been kind of warmer as of late. Uh, but I think summertime is a good time to do fires outside. I don't know if you guys do that, have a fire pit or whatnot. Um, my son really enjoys doing that. I think mostly because he likes eating marshmallows. That's what he says. Can we make a fire? Can I eat marshmallows? <laughs> yes, you can have some marshmallows. And so we've been making fires, even though it's been kind of warm. And uh, one day uh, we were making a, a fire, and the, and the fire was really not going out. It was still going pretty good, but he's, you know, he's young. He doesn't quite know how it works. And he said, Dad, should we put some more wood on the fire? And I said, well, no, we've still got plenty of wood. It's going to go a long time. And so he said, okay. So about five minutes later, he said, Dad, should we put some more wood on the fire? And I say, well, no, it still probably doesn't need it. And you see the pattern. Five minutes later, Dad, can we put some more wood on the fire? He wants to put wood on the fire because he wants to make sure that the fire keeps going. 
You know, the same is true with gossip. If you want to make sure that conflict continues to exist in your life, if you want to make sure that quarreling or fighting continues in your relationships or in your family, then you just need to keep adding a a steady dose of gossip. Because that's what Proverbs says, is that with gossip comes fighting, right? Um, Think about this. Have you ever had a conflict? Have you ever had a fight, ever ever a tiff with, with a friend because of gossip? Maybe it's gossip that you shared. Maybe it's gossip that they shared. Maybe it's gossip that somebody shared about you or them. Have, have, has gossip ever led to conflict in your life? I would venture to say that all of us, to some degree, have felt the reality of this. Have you ever had a conflict maybe with an enemy because of gossip? Most certainly, I think all of us have. And it's because of this great potential for conflict and fighting that the Proverbs very wisely warns us to stay away from a gossiping person. Now turn with me to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 19, just a little bit uh, to, the, to the left of your Bible, says this. It, it warns us very clearly to stay away from gossip. Twenty nineteen says this. The one who goes about gossiping reveals secrets. That's what a gossip does, right? A gossip cannot keep their mouth shut about the truth or about a lie. They go about revealing secrets. So if that's true, that's what a gossip does. They reveal secrets, either truthful or in error. Then what should we do? How should we relate to a gossip? Well, it tells us, it says, therefore, therefore do not associate with someone who is always opening his mouth. So let me ask you this question. Do you do this? Do you not associate with somebody who is opening his mouth? Or do you run to the gossiper? Because oftentimes we get in trouble simply because we don't heed what Proverbs teaches, which is we know a person who is prone to gossip or who is gossiping, and instead of saying, I'm leaving, (laughs) I'm not going to listen to this, I don't know if that's true. Even if it is true, it's not from the the source, and so I'm going to leave. I'm not going to engage in listening or passing on this kind of gossip. Instead, some of us, boy, we run to gossip, don't we? I mean, some of us, we hear a little bit of this about someone, we hear a little bit about that to someone, and we think it's just news, right? And we run to gossip instead of running away from gossip. And what we're doing is we're adding fuel to the fire of conflict, is what we're doing. And so we've seen a couple kind of words. Proverbs warns us, flattery. It leads to ruin. Secondly, gossip. It leads to fighting. And then third, the third category of death-like words is what I would call careless words. That is being careless, uh, reckless, unthoughtful about our words. Careless words also are death-like words. I'd like to read a, a quick a, a note. Uh, many of you may be fam- familiar with Paul Harvey, a uh, great uh, American reporter. Uh, he once reported this on one of his broadcasts, and I'd like to quote him for you to get it right. He said this in one of his broadcasts. <clears throat> the respected American Medical News confirms what our For What It's Worth department is about to replay. And so he quotes this. A patient complained of an earache. His right ear. Read this one. His right ear. His doctor prescribed eardrops and antibiotic. Are you with me to hear? He says the doctor prescribed eardrops for an earache. When the patient got the eardrop prescription filled with the pharmacist, the pharmacist wrote this on the bottle. Three words. Excuse me, three drops. Three drops in R for the right ear. No space and no punctuation. 
for right ear, the instructions on the bottle read are ear. That spells rear. The patient said that later he knew it seemed like a, a, a strange remedy for an earache, but he dutifully applied the three drops to his rear for three days before the error was found. Um, you know, carelessness with words uh, has implications and has uh, results. And, and not only is something as silly as putting eardrops in your rear, but careless words, Proverbs says, has harmful, death-like results. And I'm going to read just three of them for you. The first thing that, about careless words that Proverbs says is that it leads to verbal sin. It leads to verbal sin. Proverbs 10.19 says this, When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Boy, have you ever been here? Have you ever been in a scenario where you're having a conversation with one, with somebody, maybe your spouse, maybe a friend, maybe a child, and too many words happen? You know that the conversation needs to stop, but as the proverb says, that with, when words are many, that is when we talk too much, when we don't know when to shut our mouth, what is not absent? Sin is not absent. And so the first thing that we see about carelessness with our words is that if we keep talking, most likely we're going to sin with our lips. Secondly, it also hurts other people. This is obvious. When we talk too much, we can potentially hurt other people. Again, Proverbs 12, 18 says this, reckless words, notice the image, reckless words pierce like a sword. Notice the image, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the foolish tongue is like a sword. Now my son is of the age where he likes to play swords. And so uh, we have these plastic mini golf clubs, right? They're just little plastic golf, golf clubs that my grandma, his grandma got him. And what he essentially likes to do is take the ends off, you know, the head of the golf club to where it's just like a plastic sword. And he says, let's play swords, dad. And so we, you know, I, I dutifully get that and we play swords and I'm trying to teach him how to deal with me without hurting me or his sister, right? But w- what he likes to do is we like to play swords and I like to let him win. And so he, he, he gets me and he says, spear, spear, you know, that's, that's kind of his kill, kill, you know, I'm going to spear you, and he, and he pokes me, and I go, oh, you know, and we play swords, but what, what the Proverbs is saying here is that sometimes our words can be like swords, they pierce somebody when we say words recklessly, that is, we hurt them, and so is your tongue like a sword? I mean, when you speak recklessly, are you like jabbing the person you're talking about? Have you ever been in a scenario or a situation, a conflict with anybody, a husband, spouse, kid, family member, enemy friend, whatever, and the tension level is rising, and without thinking you react, your words are reckless, and you say something, and it comes out, and you see their face, and it turns from anger to pain to hurt. And you know that your word, your words to them was like a sword, and it pierced their spirit, and it hurt them deeply. And as the words came out of your mouth, you knew immediately, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) I didn't mean that. And it's too late, because Careless words not only lead to verbal sin, but boy, they can hurt other people. But not only that, careless words can actually hurt us. So notice this, Proverbs 13, 3. Not only can our careless words hurt other people, but they can hurt us. Proverbs 13, 3. He who, he who guards his lips guards his life, 
Let that sink in just a bit. He who guards his lips guards his life. But, by contrast, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Now what this Proverbs is, is saying is that if we protect our lips, if we don't use careless, if we don't use reckless words, then we're actually not only keeping others safe, but we're guarding our own life. We're protecting our own self. One commentator by the name of Dr. Bazell says this. He says, by reckless words, he, speaking of this person, by reckless words, he makes promises that he can't keep. He divulges private information He offends. He misrepresents. People learn not to depend on what he says and do not want to be around him. And that is because careless words not only hurt others, but careless words can hurt ourselves. And so I wanted to do this. I wanted to begin with words of death. These are the kind of words that bring death to us and to those who we speak to, and that's what Proverbs says about these kind of words. But jointly, they're not only words that bring death, but there are words that actually bring life. Remember, there's great power in our words. It can bring death and sorrow and destruction, but boy, it can bring life and health and peace and encouragement. There is great power in our lips, and the Proverbs not only says, stay away from these kind of words, the Proverbs also say, use these kind of words, right? The kind of words that are healing and bring life. I've narrowed it down to a couple kind of categories, a couple kind of words, two categories of words that bring life. Jot these down. The first one are words of encouragement. Words of encouragement don't bring death. They bring life. Flip with me backwards a little bit to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 24, says this. Pleasant words... Pleasant words are, at, are a honeycomb. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Notice the wonderful image of pleasant or encouraging words. He says that pleasant words are like honeycomb. So let's just fess up here. Anybody like plain honey? Do you like to eat plain honey? You can admit it. Okay, one, two, thanks, great. Um, the rest of you are liars. No, just kidding. Uh, Honey by itself, I think, is wonderful. I love honey. I grew up with, here's, here's my background on the honey thing. I grew up with a dad who I remember waking up for work every morning, and he was about to leave. He was just eating his cereal right before he would go to work, and I'd be waking up. And I remember very clearly that his favorite cereal, I think even to this day, is Honey Nut Cheerios. I don't know if you like Honey Nut Cheerios or not. I personally think they're pretty good. Um, but that's the thing. They're not regular Cheerios. They're honey nut Cheerios. They're a little bit sweeter, and they taste a little bit like honey, but that apparently was not enough for my dad, because what my dad liked to do is we had a big jar or squeeze bottle, essentially, of honey. You know, the kind that's shaped like a bear? That's the kind that we would get, and he, every morning, I remember it like it's yesterday, he would get this honey and do this all on his cereal, and he would twist it all the way around until it's in the middle, like a perfect bowl of honey goodness cereal. And I remember thinking, Dad, that's way too much honey, but then he let me try it. And I thought it was pretty good. And so I kind of followed in that habit for a while as I would get my Honey Nut Cheerios, and oh, it was so sweet. It was good for my soul. I'd just pour it on. And then that led to the idea that, well, it's pretty good on cereal, Maybe I should just eat it by itself. <laughs> so one day, my mom found me getting this and, you know, doing that. She said, what are you doing? 
I'm eating honey. <laughs> Why? Well, sweet. It's good, you know. Um, and my son has taken that upon himself. He looks it up in the shelf, and if he spots the honey, Dad, I want a bite of honey, you know. And so he loves it pure. And, and so this is the image that we're supposed to see. Pleasant or encouraging words are like honey in a couple ways. Notice, they're sweet to the soul, and they're healing to the bones. Now what this means, I think, is that encouraging words are good for us Uh, in the inner person and for the outer person. That is, when we encourage other people with our words, it lifts their spirits. It brings them, hopefully, from despair to hope. It uh, it causes them uh, from from being depressed to to thinking positive thoughts. It has the power to heal, one proverb says. It has the power to heal. It heals our soul, our inner person, our thoughts, our feelings. So sweet is a word of encouragement when we are feeling down. But not only does it help us inwardly, but notice, encouraging words actually can heal our bones. Now, what I don't think that means is your son has a broken bone. You're like, I'm sorry, son. I hope you feel better. And then magically it's healed. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about, though, your, your body, your physical body. When we encourage people, what this text is suggesting, that we can actually make people not only feel better, like, emotionally, but we can actually help them be better physically because our mind and our body is so intertwined. And so encouraging words bring life. So is there anyone in your life that you know needs some honey? Is there anybody you know who might, could benefit from you taking uh, some encouraging words and and taking uh, a big uh, jar of honey and just squeezing it right into their soul and right into their bones? Is there anybody in your life who might need some honey, some encouragement? Maybe they're dealing with a job loss, a financial crisis, a pending divorce, a trying time maritally, maybe rebellious kids. There are all sorts of things and all sorts of reasons why we all need a bit of sweet honey, some encouraging words. Maybe you'll say, I know you're going through a hard time. I'm praying for you today. Maybe like I do on, on occasion as I send somebody a text and say, I'm thinking about you today. I'm praying for you. Um, you know, I love you. Whatever it might be. And those things can be honey to their soul. Maybe it's just asking them how they're doing. Maybe it's sharing a similar experience that you had that can let them know it's hard now, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. What, who is that person in your life that you can be a honey dispenser of pleasant and encouraging words? First of all, encouraging words are words of life. And secondly, not only are encouraging words words of life, but words that I would call gentle. Gentle words, that is words that are tender, words that are soft, they bring life in a couple different scenarios. First of all, they bring life in conflict. Now, turn with me to chapter 15, just a few pages back. 15.1, and we see the power of a gentle word, of literally a soft word in the midst of an argument. I love this verse. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What this is saying is that in a heated situation, you have a couple options. When somebody is getting angry at you, you're getting angry at them, you're having some kind of verbal discourse, and the, the heat level, the intensity of the conversation is, is rising, you can do a couple things. Number one, you can have a gentle answer, or you can have a harsh word. You can respond to them gently or softly, and the proverb says if you take that posture and that tone of gentleness, you will turn away their wrath. That is, you will not provoke them to be 
more angry at you. But conversely, if you offer a harsh word, which I take to mean an angry, a mean-spirited word, a harsh word, will what? It won't turn away their wrath. It will stir their wrath. It will stir their anger. So you're in a conversation with your spouse, she asks you about something that you did, and you take offense to it. And you said, honey, I didn't, I didn't mean for it to be that way, and, and I'm sorry. And then she uh, says something, and you know at that moment your, your tension is rising, and you can, you can with humility say, honey, with, with a, a proper tone, say, I didn't mean to, or this is why I did that or the other. Or with your tone and your voice and your verbal inflections, you can have a harsh word. And what happens? What happens most of the time when you say, you dummy, I didn't mean to do that? Yeah, that's going to stir up some anger, isn't it? Or, I can't believe you're asking me to do that again. Because a soft word is not talking about the content, I don't believe. It's talking about how you communicate it. It doesn't mean that in the midst of conflict you just give in or you just say, oh, you're right, even though they're not. It's not talking about the words that you're using. It's talking about how you say it. It makes all the difference in the world. And so gentle words in conflict. But secondly, this one's really interesting to me. Gentle words in persuasion. Chapter 25, verse 15. Gentle words can persuade somebody. So let me ask you this. Is there anybody that you're trying to persuade? Maybe a friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a coworker, maybe a boss. You're trying to persuade them. Proverbs says there's a couple ways you can do it. 25:12 says this. Through patience, through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue Notice that coupled with patience. A gentle tongue can break a bone. What? (laughs) What is that talking about? A gentle tongue can break the bone? This is essentially the idea, is that a person can be persuaded better through patience and through gentle, soft, uh, loving tones, tactful words, more than impatient, angry, or harsh words. And so um, here's the idea. What is maybe the hardest thing in the body to break? That which is most unbending. I would suggest it's probably a bone. They're very hard to break, right? And so the idea is that maybe there's somebody you're wanting to persuade, and they are as unbending as a bone. (laughs) Wives, maybe you have a husband that you're trying to persuade on whatever it may be, and he is as unbending as a bone. And maybe you've been trying to persuade him with nagging. Maybe you've been trying to persuade him with angry words. Maybe you've been trying to persuade him with, if you don't do this, you're not going to get that, or I'm not going to do this. You've been giving consequences. You've been threatening, and you've been trying to persuade them that way, but the proverb here says, you know what, you're not going to break a bone that way. If you want to break his bone, if you want to persuade him, use gentle words. Use tactful words. Use patient words. I want to share a story that Chuck Swindoll um, uh, shared once. It's actually out of a book by the name of How to Win Customers and Keep Them for Life. So those of you in business might be a good book. Um, But the author says this, and and I'll I'll quote it. Uh, He says this in that book. Tact is one of the lost arts of the 20th century, isn't it? I heard about a man who lacked tact. That's what we're talking about in this proverb. He was the type of a person who just couldn't say things graciously. He and his wife owned a poodle. They loved this poodle, and it was the object of their affection. Now, one day, the wife took a trip abroad, and the first day she made it to New York, which was where she was staying. She called home, and she asked her husband, how are things at the house? And he said, the dog is dead. 
and she was immediately devastated. After collecting her thoughts, she said, why do you do that? Why are you so uh, tactless? And he thought about it. Well, what did you want me to say? He said, the dog died. She said, well, you could have given it to me in stages. For example, you could say when I got to New York, the dog is on the roof. And then when I got to London the, the next day, you could call me and say, honey, uh, the dog fell off the roof. And then when I call you from Paris the next day, you could say, honey, the dog had to be taken to the hospital and he's not doing very well. And then finally, when I called you from Rome, when I got to my destination, you could say, honey, brace yourself. Our dog is dead. And she said, now that I could handle. I could handle that. And the husband paused and he said, oh, I see. And she asked him a follow-up question. By the way, how's my mother? And he said, she's on the roof. <laughs> a wise man uses tact. You know, that's what the proverb is, is talking about. He's saying a tactful, gentle word can persuade even the hardest person to crack. And so in closing, what we've seen this morning, hopefully, is some categories of words. We've seen that indeed, Proverbs 18.21 is correct. Our words are powerful. They can bring death and they can bring life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I want to ask you this as we close. What does your tongue bring? Does your tongue bring death most of the time? Or does your tongue bring life? Does your tongue bring about death through flattery, through gossip, or carelessness? Or does your tongue bring life through encouragement and through gentleness? I want to close by reminding us that as we talk about our words, we're not just talking about that which comes from our lips, but that which comes directly out of our hearts. Jesus had something to say about the source of our tongue. Luke chapter 6. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. Luke 6, 43 through 45. Jesus elevates the significance of our words. He says it's just not what we say from our lips, but it's, a, it's an indicator. It's a spiritual indicator of how we're doing spiritually and if we are dead or alive spiritually. It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like something that pops up on your dashboard. If something that pops up on your dashboard and it says oil change or your engine is going bad or something is broken, that's an indicator to you that something internally in your car is not right. Jesus says that if we take the accumulation of our words and they're more death-like words than life-like words, it should be a warning sign on the dashboard of our life that something internally is not right. Jesus says this, Luke six forty-three through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. No. A good man, now notice this, a good man brings good things out of the, out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the Anybody know? Mouth. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so as we close, I want to challenge you to think about what comes out of your mouth. Um, the, simple, the simple point is that a good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear 
bad fruit. And you're not going to pick an apple from a thorn bush, right? Because thorn, bu- thorn bushes produce thorn, thorns. And apple bushes, apple trees produce apples. We were walking along, uh, I think it was 4th Street, but I'm not exactly sure. We were taking a family walk, and uh, we were with my mom and dad. And dad said, oh, what kind of tree is that? He noticed that there were small little fruit things. And I said, well, I think it's an apple tree. I'm not real sure. And, uh, you know, he's, that, he's the horticulture major. And, uh, and he said, well, okay, let me look at it. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, this is an apple tree. And I said, okay, great. And well, sometimes, oftentimes, they're dropping and, you know, things like that. And so we were having this conversation about this apple tree and how it was barely producing fruit. And my, and my son overheard us. And uh, he said, what, kind of tr- what is that? What kind of tree is it, Dad? And I said, it's an apple tree, son. And he said, well, what kind of fruit does it make? He's three, so I'll let him go. You know, I'll let that go. And I said, well, it makes apples because apple trees produce apples, right? Figs, trees produce figs. That's, that's kind of how it works. You know, what's inside comes outside. And that's what Jesus says. He says, if the fruit of your lips uh, is flattery, that means that you are, are, have flattery in your heart. And if the fruit of your lips is gossip, then that's what's in your heart. And if you have evil coming out, that means you have an evil root. And if there's bitterness or anger or cursings and all of these things that come out of our lips, he said, be aware. If you see those fruits, it's an indicator that you might have a dead, unregenerate, unsaved heart. And we're not talking about perfection. There are things that come out of my lips that are death-like words. There are things that come out of my lips and your lips that are life-like words. But when we look at the culmination, when we look at what's normal, what normally proceeds from your lips, is it good or is it bad? Is it death or is it life? And if you think, boy, flattery comes out of my lips, gossip comes out of my lips, lips cursings come out of my lips, evil and anger and bitterness and all sorts of things, that, that regularly comes from my lips. Then according to the word of Jesus, you may need to consider what's in your heart. And you may need to consider what kind of tree that's producing that kind of fruit. The good news as we close is that if what comes out of our heart is then proceeds from our lips, what the Bible says is not clean up your lips. What I don't want you to hear as we close, do not hear what I'm saying is this. What I'm not saying is just be better. Go out and just speak better. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say just clean up your lips. You can just do it on your own willpower. What the Bible says is that what comes out of your lips is what's in your heart. And the Bible says that if you're not a believer, if you're not born again, then you have an evil, corrupt heart. And you, you don't need uh, like your lips to be fixed. You need a heart transplant. You hear me? You need your heart to be changed. You need a new heart. And that's what Jesus says as a part of the new covenant. I'll take their hardened hearts and I'll put in flesh kind of hearts. Hearts that are soft towards me. Hearts that don't hate me but love me. And that will begin to produce, not perfect, but good fruit. Life like fruit. So I want to ask you, what kind of fruit comes from your lips? And if it's evil and if it's death-like, then I would beg and plead that you would consider the root of the source and if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if he has come into your life and come into your heart, if you've been forgiven by faith and faith alone, and he has changed your heart and is changing your heart so that what mostly comes out is life and not death. And if you've never done that, we're gonna pray and we're gonna wrap up. And I want you to come see me because you can have a lips that produce life because your heart is a new heart. Let's pray.